This is a presentation of Redemption Bible Church. For more information, please visit our website at redemptionbc.org. Well, hey, last week we began a new series that we are calling What Makes Us Family as we are making our way through uh, Paul's letter to the churches in Galatians. And, and what we saw last week, the big idea for kind of this whole series is this, it's that our faith in Jesus Christ makes us family. Right? Our, our faith is what makes us family. Nothing more, nothing less. Right? Our faith in Jesus, it is what defines us and it is what unites us together as brothers and sisters in Christ. And last week, what we saw is that we are often prone to add additional requirements to our faith in Jesus, though, aren't we? Making it Jesus and other things, even good things, revealing how we misunderstand the gospel, misunderstanding both what it is and what it does. And Paul, he wrote this letter because there were some that were claiming that faith in Jesus wasn't enough. That only those who also adhere to aspects of the Mosaic law, such as uh, circumcision, bearing the mark of the covenant, and, and only those who adopted aspects of Jewish culture, uh, celebrating the Jewish feasts and festivals, of, uh, uh, observing Jewish food laws, only they were truly part of God's family, as like card-carrying members of God's family, children of Abraham. All right, remember, what they were doing what, and what we are prone to do is, is turning cultural preferences into Christian boundaries, aren't we? And we had a couple charts last week, remember? And, and when we do that, what we end up doing is restricting others from relationship rather than inviting others into relationship. And so there were many that were, they were questioning Paul's version of the gospel, this version of, of gospel of grace. And they were doubting his authority as an apostle. And so Paul, he begins his letter in these opening two chapters, really, with this very intentional introduction defending both his ministry and his message. And this morning, we're going to see him continue that defense by telling a story. By telling his story, a story of how he was transformed by this very same gospel that he preached, reminding them of the transforming power of the gospel, of what the gospel is and what the gospel does. And that's what we're going to see this morning in our sermon, Transformed by the Gospel, as we finish up this opening chapter. And our, our big idea, what I want us to take away this morning is this, is that the gospel transforms us into the image of Christ for the glory of God. That is what the gospel is. That is what the gospel does. The gospel transforms us into the image of Christ for the glory of God. And Paul, he's going to begin here by showing us what the gospel is. Look down here with me. Galatians chapter 1, verse 10. If you haven't already, let's open our Bibles. New Testament book of Galatians. It'll be right after Romans, 1st, 2nd Corinthians, and there's Galatians. Chapter 1, verse 10 reads, For am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. Now, while this letter was written to churches, these rhetorical questions were more directed at his critics, and they were criticizing his motives for preaching. They, they were accusing him of preaching this sort of watered-down, uh, calorie-free, fad-free, light-free, taste-free, and most importantly, law-free version of the gospel. 
They were accusing of being an antinomian, of, of all grace, no law, claiming that, that he, he, was, he was preaching this message because he was only seeking the approval of others. He was, he was only trying to please others. But that was his motive, that, that in reality, he was nothing more than another arrogant narcissist that stepped into the pulpit, promoting himself, trying to build a bigger platform in pursuit of more pay, more power, more prestigious position. And they're accusing him of of being a a liberal preacher, of bending to culture, if you will, just just tickling the ear, saying what they want to hear so that the, the people that listen, so that they would feel good and so that they would support him. But the truth is, it's backwards. The truth is, it was the accusers that were bending to culture. Because what they were doing is they were imposing these additional requirements on the Gentile Christians all so that they would appear more Jewish, so that the, the, the Christians could avoid persecution from the Roman Empire. Seeking approval of others, trying to please others. What it does is it reveals our own insecurity, doesn't it? It oftentimes reveals that we are motivated by fear. We fear all kinds of things. We, we fear failure and rejection. We fear pain and suffering. We fear what others think of us, what they might do to us. I think that's true of most all of us at some point, isn't it? Trying to please others because we fear them. Seeking their approval because we fear not being enough not being good enough, not being smart enough, not being attractive enough or or talented enough, not being enough for our friends and family, uh, not being enough for our future or present spouse, not being enough for our parents, not being enough for our kids, not being enough for our, our employers or our coworkers, even not being enough for our church family, even if you're the pastor. See, we fear not being accepted. We fear not being loved. And we not only fear those things from others, we also fear them from God, don't we? We fear not being accepted by God. We fear not being loved by God. And when that darkness sets in and God sounds increasingly silent and he feels increasingly distant, it's easy to buy into the lie, that whisper in your ear that you're not enough. You're not enough for God. And when we're motivated by fear and when our insecurity kicks in, what do we do? We, we, we try and make ourselves enough, don't we? Going to extreme lengths, doing whatever it takes. And yet what the gospel message says is that God never expected you to be enough, did he? God never expected you to be enough. What makes the gospel such good news is that Jesus was enough. He was more than enough, amen? Amen. Jesus was enough. And faith in his enough makes you enough, right? Faith in his enough makes you enough in the eyes of God. Scripture says, for our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin. Why? So that we might become the righteousness of God. See, Paul, he wasn't insecure. Paul wasn't a fear-driven narcissist. No, Paul, he was a humble, faithful servant of Christ. 
He was motivated by love, by God's love, not by fear. He wasn't seeking his own glory. He was seeking God's glory. He he wasn't trying to please others. He was trying to please God. And the same is true of us when the gospel becomes our motivation. Not living so that, but living because of. Right? Not motivated by fear, living so that God will love us, so that God will approve us, but living out of love, living because of God's love, living because he already loves us, because he already approves of us and has adopted us in and through Christ. And that leads us then, like Paul, to not seek our own glory, but to seek God's, not trying to please everyone, but to please the one as a faithful servant of Christ, knowing that our faith in Christ has made us enough. And so right out of the gate, Paul shows us what the gospel is, and the gospel is our motivation. It is our reason for doing what we do, for living the way we live. But his critics, they weren't only criticizing his motives, they were also criticizing his message. Look at me me at verse 11 and 12. He says, for I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel. For I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. They were not only criticizing his motivation for preaching, but they were criticizing the message that he was preaching, specifically criticizing the, the origin of that message. They claimed that he was preaching his own made-up version of the gospel. This this gospel of grace was just something that that Paul came up with on his own. They were were criticizing him because Paul's version of the gospel didn't align with their version of the gospel. There was a discrepancy there. Anglican pastor John Stott, he kind of sums this up, sums up Paul's response by saying, uh, the gospel that Paul preached, it was neither an invention nor a tradition, but a revelation. And it's kind of like his apostleship that we saw back in verse 1 last week, right? His apostleship, it neither originated from others nor was given through others. And the same is true of the message that he preached. His message, it was not an invention. This was not man's gospel, he he says. He was not preaching his own made-up version of the gospel. It was not an invention, but it also was not tradition. It was not received from man. It, It wasn't given to him by the other apostles. He wasn't taught, he wasn't trained by the other apostles. No, it was instead a revelation, wasn't it? It was a revelation of Jesus given to him by the risen Christ, given to him by Jesus himself. And so Paul here, he's he's not preaching his own message, he's preaching God's because he didn't receive it from others, he received it from God. And Paul's not seeking his own glory, he's seeking God's because he's not trying to please others, he's trying to please God. And that's, that's what the gospel is, isn't it? The gospel is our motivation, that we are servants of Jesus. And the gospel is our message, a message of hope that we are saved by Jesus. And after reminding us what the gospel is, he goes on to remind us what it is that the gospel does, how it transforms our hearts and our minds in our lives, transforming us more and more into the image of Christ, all for God's glory. And he does this by sharing a story, right? His story of how he was transformed. He, he shares a story of who he was before he met Jesus. He shares how it is that he encountered Jesus. And then he shares how he was forever changed by Jesus. 
And so let's look at his before story here in verse 13 and 14. He says, For you've heard of my former life in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God violently and tried to destroy it. And I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age, my own people. So extremely zealous was I for the traditions of my fathers. Paul, he was born in about the year 5 AD. He was born in the city of Tarsus in the region of Cilicia. That's a hard word. Tom, you did way better with that word than I just did. Big idea, it's in the southeast area of Turkey today. Uh, But he was born into a Jewish uh, family. He was also, on top of that, born with Roman citizenship. But Paul, he he was raised in the city of Jerusalem then and and taught by the great rabbi uh, Gamaliel. And Paul, he doesn't hold back. He he was the best of the best. He he was advancing beyond his peers. Paul was that kid. You you either were this kid or you had this kid in your class that always sat in the front of class, right? I remember in seminary, that, that kid that always wanted to sit Front row, middle, right in front of the professor to make sure he knew he was there. And that's also the kid that was always, whenever a question was asked, of the, ooh, 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 calling me, calling me, right? Some of you are like, oh, that was me. That was totally me, weren't you? That's okay. Paul was that kid. Paul was that kid in class. Perfect attendance, dean's list every semester. But not just that. He, he wasn't just, he didn't just have potential. He went on to become the first pick in the first round by the Pharisees. He was the number one draft pick. He was an all-star. He made the top of the top 30 under 30 list. Paul was going places. But he was also zealous for the traditions of his fathers, he says. See, he had not only mastered all 613 commands of the Mosaic Law found in the Torah, but he also, uh, he had mastered all the extra rules of the Jewish Mishnah. These additional restrictions, these additional precautions put in place because, see, God had drawn lines for his people to follow. And what the Jewish people did is they drew lines behind the lines, behind the lines, behind the lines to make sure they never got close to God's line. It's sort of like, don't listen to this kind of music. Don't listen to that. Remember last week we talked about the downbeat, the syncopating, you know, some people are like real big on that's the devil music. Don't listen to that. Don't listen to rock and roll. Don't listen to music. Let's just burn all the secular CDs. We do that growing up too? Yeah, I can see the faces. We sat in the front row of class and we burned all of our CDs. For me, it would have been cassette tapes. I'm a bit older, but you get the idea. But here's the thing. While, while Paul was a practicing lawyer by day, he was a vigilante by night. He was Batman, right? He walked around saying, I am vengeance. He says here, he says he persecuted the church. He was persecuting these so-called followers of the way. And, and Paul, uh, Paul spared no one. He spared no one. About 10 years later in Acts 22, after Paul was arrested in Jerusalem, he, he tells this story and he, he says, I was, I was persecuting this way, persecuting them to death, binding and delivering to prison both men and women. No one was spared. And he's like, you don't believe me? Go ask the high priest, go ask the whole council of elders, right? I was their boy. I was good. See, Paul, he was, he was a fanatic. He was an extremist. He was violently protecting the Jewish way of life by any means necessary. And he was protecting them. He was protecting this religious exemption that they had negotiated from Rome that we talked about last week. This exemption that allowed them to not have to worship Caesar as Lord. This exemption that allowed them from having to pray to Rome if they only prayed for Rome. 
But the thing was, is these pesky Christians, these people of the way, they came along and they refused to worship Caesar as Lord because they worshiped Jesus as Lord. And they were putting their way of life at risk. And as Paul tells his story, I love how honest he is about his life before Jesus. Because by doing so, he actually does two things here. Number one, he shows his self-righteousness, doesn't he? He shows his self-righteousness, how deserving he felt he was of God's blessings and God's love in the way in which he lived. But he not only shows and reveals and acknowledges his self-righteousness, he also shows his brokenness. Because he reveals how undeserving he actually was of God's grace and God's mercy. I love how even back in verse 10, how honestly he reflects on how he was at that point in his life. He was driven by the approval of others. He was trying to please others. His days as a a Pharisee, as as a vigilante, they were motivated by fear. They were motivated by his insecurity. But not only that, I love... I love how Paul doesn't glamorize or glorify his past, does he? But not only that, he doesn't try and hide it. He's neither proud of what he did nor embarrassed or ashamed of what he did. No, he's just simply honest of what he had done and how he had lived. And I want us to think for a moment. Think about your story. Think about your life before Jesus Remember last week as we talked about misunderstandings of the gospel, one of, the, one of them was that we misunderstand the personal nature of the gospel. This wasn't done something out there. It was done because of us and for us and to us. And so think about that story and the way in which you tell it. And I think we're often prone to do one of three things when we tell our story of our past life. I think, number one, sometimes we're prone to glamorize it, aren't we? We're prone to glorify our sinful past. There's there's a part of us that's actually a bit proud of it, a a part of us that that brags about it, and if we're honest, there's a part of us that almost wants to go back for just a little bit to just a piece of that. So sometimes we glamorize it, but number two, I think on the other end of the spectrum, sometimes we hide our sinful past, don't we? We are embarrassed. We are ashamed of what we've done, and we think to ourselves, if people found out what I did, if people found out who I was, they would reject me. They, they, they wouldn't accept me. They wouldn't love me. And so we hide that past. And I want you to think, if either of those two ring a bell for you, what do you think that reveals about your heart? Whether you glamorize or hide. But there's a third way that I think is actually worse than those two. And the third way that we're prone to tell our stories is by denying our sinful past, pretending it didn't even happen, actually thinking to ourselves, you know, I, I actually, I wasn't that bad. In fact, I was actually really good. I kind of just came out born fully sanctified. I got it, you know, I got it. The kids got it. We're good. And what that does is that reveals our own self-righteousness, doesn't it? that we have saved ourselves, that we have sanctified ourselves. God, don't need Jesus, don't need the cross, don't need the power of the Holy Spirit. I got this, God, I'm good. But the gospel forces us to face the reality of our past, doesn't it? It forces us to face who it was that we were. 
It forces us to face that life that we live before Jesus, that life that Jesus saved us from, how he has transformed us. It, it forces us to face that we were not deserving, were we? But that's what makes it grace. It, it forces us to, to face that our identity now, though, is not found in our sin, but in our Savior, Amen. That our old self, Paul says later on, it has died. That is a, a former person. It's not even you anymore because you are now a new creation in Christ. You have been reborn, Jesus said to Nicodemus in John 3. And that's what happened to Paul. But yet how? Right? How, how did Jesus Transform this, this former assassin into an apostle, this persecutor into a preacher. Well, he goes on to tell us here in verses 15 and 16, he says, he says, but when he who had set me apart before I was born and who called me by his grace was pleased to reveal his son to me. Let's stop there for a second. You know, three, you guys good with grammar? Like we talked about wordle, now we're talking about grammar. Three verbs, right? The action words in that sentence. I want to make sure we're all on board. I had to study grammar this week for this part of the sermon. So uh, three verbs. And did you notice who's the subject of each verb? Who was the one doing the verb? Here's a little hint. It wasn't Paul, was it? Paul didn't find Jesus on the way to Damascus. Paul didn't initiate a relationship with Jesus. Paul didn't decide on his own to one day follow Jesus. He'd like wake up and be like, you know what, today? Today's a good day. I think I'm going to start following Jesus. My dad, he, uh, he woke up one day and after decades of smoking said, I'm going to stop smoking. He did do that. Not one of us, though, has woken up and be like, you know what, today? I'm going to decide on my own to follow Jesus. Paul, he didn't, he didn't pray a prayer and invite Jesus into his heart. That's not how it works. Right? Remember, Jesus, he told those self-righteous Pharisees who thought they were all good, he told them in John 6, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. Paul knew this. Paul knew he did nothing and that God did everything, didn't he? And he says, what we see here is that God set Paul apart, didn't he? God set Paul apart. And when did he do it? Paul says, before I was even born. God didn't respond to anything Paul had done. God wasn't like, you know what, Paul? You were really bad, and now you're really good. Welcome. Oh, this was all God's sovereign choosing, just as he chose Israel to be his people, even they weren't bigger, they weren't better than anyone else, they were smaller, they were lesser, yet God chose them, he chose to love them. God set Paul apart before he was born, but the second thing, God called Paul, didn't he? And how did he call him? He says, by his grace. God's the one that picked up the phone, God's the one that dialed, God's the one that called, all Paul did was answer. And then God revealed his son to Paul. Where did he reveal? On the road to Damascus. Luke, he tells this incredible story in, in Acts 9. And then Paul himself later, uh, in, in Acts 22, he tells the story. And uh, he says in Acts 22, he says, As I was on my way and, and drew near to Damascus. Remember, Paul is on his way to Damascus to arrest and execute Christians, right? Uh, As I was on my way to Damascus, uh, about noon, a great light from heaven suddenly shone all around me. 
And I fell to the ground and I heard a voice saying to me, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Saul was his Hebrew name. And I answered, who are you, Lord? And he said to me, I am Jesus of Nazareth, whom you are persecuting. Mind you, this story takes place after Christ's death, resurrection, and ascension. Now those who were with me, they saw the light, but they didn't understand the voice of the one who was speaking to me. It must have been like the Charlie Brown voice to everyone else. Wah, 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 wah. But Paul, Paul understood. And I said, what shall I do, Lord? And the Lord said to me, rise and go into Damascus. And there you will be told all that is appointed for you to do. And since I couldn't see because of the brightness of the light, I was led by the hand of those who were with me, and we came into Damascus, and one, Ananias, a devout man according to the law, well spoken of by all the Jews who lived there, he came to me, and standing by me, he said to me, Brother Saul, receive your sight. And at that very hour, I received my sight, and I saw him. And he said, the God of our fathers appointed you to know his will to see the righteous one, and to hear a voice from his mouth. I love this. Like Paul, Paul had heard the stories of Jesus, didn't he? he? He had heard the stories of his miracles. He had heard of his claim to be an apostle, but he didn't believe any of it. He was still waiting for the promised Messiah to come. Yet just as the old hymn written by a former slave trader turned abolitionist and pastor says, I once was blind, but now I see. And that's the transforming power of amazing grace, isn't it? It wasn't until Jesus opened his eyes that he could see. Paul didn't find Jesus. Jesus found him, and he transformed him. Because you know what? Jesus never leaves you the way he found you, does he? You are always changed. You are always growing. And what Jesus does is he, he transforms enemies of God into children of God. The transforming power of the gospel, it, it, it changes slave traders like John Newton into abolitionists. It changes assassins into apostles and persecutors into preachers. That's what the gospel does. And while your story, it it may not be as dramatic as Paul's. I, I'm, I'm betting we don't have too many former assassins in the room right now. Maybe, I don't know. Um, what I need you to know is your story is not boring because your story is no less miraculous than Paul's, amen? Every story is a miracle. That's true whether you found Jesus after you hit rock bottom, bottom of a bottle, with a needle in your arm, in jail, with no place to live. That's also true if you found Jesus as a child in the church you grew up in. We all here in this room, we all come from different backgrounds, don't we? We all have different stories. And Jesus found us all in different points, in different places in our lives, yet we were all transformed by Jesus, transformed into his image because Jesus never leaves you the way he found you. And that's true no matter how far you have strayed or how long you may have been away. God set you apart before you were born. He chose you before the foundation of the world, he says in Ephesians 1. 
He formed your inward parts and knit you together in your mother's womb. God did that. God called you here, whether you're here in the room or you were online with us, God called you here out of the darkness and into his marvelous light. And it is no accident you ended up here. You weren't just driving and like, "Mm, I'm going to take a left into this parking lot. I see other cars here. You didn't just stumble upon our YouTube channel. God was directing that. God was calling you here because he was ever so pleased to reveal his son, Jesus Christ, to you. And uh, this hasn't happened in our 13 years. He's not revealed him visibly here on stage unless he's behind me and I'm not seeing it. Uh, You're likely not going to meet Jesus on a dirty road going to Damascus. But he has revealed him, hasn't he? He has revealed him audibly through the reading and preaching of his word. And he has revealed him relationally through his people, our family, our brothers, our sisters. He reveals his son to us. It is a revelation, a word that comes from the Greek word apocalypse. And like, apocalypse is one of those words that got a bad rap along the way, wasn't it? We hear apocalypse and we think like, the end, the apocalypse is coming. We've heard a lot about that over the last two years, haven't we? All the signs of the apocalypse. But I think we misunderstand that word. See, revelation and apocalypse, what it is, it's, it's not an ending. It is a revealing and unveiling as something hidden is made visible and known. And God has revealed and unveiled himself through the living word of his son, Jesus Christ, and through the written word of scripture, hasn't he? God, through through that, he is revealing to us who it is that he is so that we can know him and have a relationship with him. And he, he reveals what it is that he has done and what it is that he has promised to do so that we will trust him, revealing that he is indeed sovereign and faithful. Luther, he, he, he says of this, he says, knowledge of Christ and of faith, it is not a human work, but utterly a divine gift. It is a gift of God's grace that we get to know him and be in relationship with him as his adopted and chosen child loved by him. And when we put that together, the gospel, what it does is it humbles us, doesn't it? It humbles us because like Paul, we didn't do anything, but God did everything. The Father is the one that called out to us. The gospel humbles us. The gospel also changes us because Jesus is the Son of God. He doesn't leave you the way he found you. But the gospel also strengthens and sustains us as we are filled and led by the Holy Spirit, the work of the Trinity involved in what the gospel does. And God's setting apart his calling and his revealing. They are all gifts of his amazing grace, freely given to us to simply receive. But they're given for a purpose, aren't they? They're given for a reason. He's transforming our lives and our hearts for a reason. And he says in verse 16, he says, all of this was in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles. See, Paul, he was transformed by Jesus for Jesus, wasn't he? Into a servant of Christ. Paul, he was appointed in a gospel by God and commissioned by the risen Christ to go and to preach. Tim Keller in his commentary, he says, God revealed Christ to Paul so that he could reveal Christ through Paul as he worked in him and through him. And Paul here, he's continuing to stress that his ministry as an apostle, his message of the gospel, it came directly from God. 
He says he didn't immediately consult with anyone or visit the apostles in Jerusalem because he didn't need to, did he? He was a divinely appointed messenger preaching a divinely provided message. Instead, what does Paul do? Paul goes on vacation, doesn't he? He says he went away into Arabia. Arabia here is the, the Roman province of, of Arabia uh, surrounding Ju- the land of Judea. So to the north, it had the city of Damascus. To the uh, east, it had the, the Nabataean kingdom. With its, uh, We might not know the Nabataeans, but we know Petra. And if you don't know Petra, remember Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade and the really cool building in the rock? That's Petra, okay? So that's the Nabataean kingdom. Uh, geography's fun. History's fun. Uh, and then down to the south, it's got Mount Sinai and the Sinai Peninsula. That's the, that's the Arabia that he traveled into. And while we don't know exactly where in Arabia he went, you guys know that when we don't know something, that just leads scholars to want to figure out what it was, doesn't it? Uh, We don't know where he went. Some believe that he may have gone to Mount Sinai and traveled to Mount Sinai to meet with God, just as Elijah did in 1 Kings 19. And while we don't know exactly what he did in Arabia, it's likely that this was a time of silence and solitude, a time of quiet reflection and meditation and preparation with God. It was a much needed time away with God because think about the dramatic change that had just occurred in Paul's life, right? His life got flipped, turned upside down, didn't it? And so he thought he'd take a minute and just sit right there and reflect on how he became not the fresh prince of Bel-Air, but an apostle of Jesus Christ. I had to. N.T. Wright writing about this, he, he says, uh, Paul, he went off to do business with God and came back to do business for God. And I think we get that second half, don't we? We're really good at the second half. We're good at doing for God, aren't we? Serving, giving, praying, whatever it is, we're good at doing. We got, we got a Bible plan, checking those boxes off. We're good at doing for God. We're not so good at being with God, though, are we? Paul got it right. He went to be with God, to be filled by God, to enjoy God, and then he went to do for God. We, we, we get two incredible lessons here. And so the, the first lesson here just in, in this is, it's like, it's the importance of silence and solitude. Y'all, I hate silence and solitude. Anybody else? Yeah. The rest of you, I think, want to raise your hand. I can't stand it. I always have to have the music play. I always need that distraction. But here's the thing. Silence and solitude are important. This setting time aside to just simply be with God. To just be with him. Eliminating the distractions and enjoying his presence. Focusing your attention and your affection fully on him. Don't just turn your phone upside down. Maybe turn the whole thing off. Turn that distraction away and be with God, hearing his voice as he speaks, feeling his loving embrace, just abiding in him. We need that time alone to just be with God and allow him to speak to us through his word. But the other important lesson that we gain here is let's not be so quick to rush to the next chapter in life. I think we get really excited by shiny things. Squirrel! And like you ever do it where you're like you're reading a book and you're like three-fourths through the book and then you bought your next book 
You, then by next book, I mean there's like a three-foot stack of books that you just bought. And uh, you want to jump to that next one because you're, you're, you're like bored with this one already. and You want to rush to get on. And then we don't end up reflecting on what it is that we read. And we jump to the next one. And then you forgot what you read. We need to not be so quick to jump to the next chapter. We need to set aside time to reflect on all that God has done and to prepare our heart for what's to come. That's what led us to a couple weeks ago, just setting aside a whole Sunday to reflect on God's faithfulness over this last year, to reflect on that as we then prepare to enter into the new year, allowing the Spirit to lead as you faithfully follow. That's what Paul did. And after that, after that time with God, it says he later, he returned again to Damascus. He came back, and in Acts 9, again, we get more details to the story. He says that he was, he was preaching in the Jewish synagogues, and he was preaching that Jesus is the Son of God, that he is the Christ, that the promised Messiah has come and died and risen. And it says that all who heard him were amazed. They were amazed at, at how Jesus had transformed his life. It was like he went back to his high school reunion and he was voted most likely to kill people and now he's helping save people. And they're like, is that even the same guy? Some didn't believe it though. Some, some were frustrated by it. Some thought he was infringing and so it says that some plotted to kill him. And if we, if we jump to 2 Corinthians 11, what we see is uh, Paul says that they, they kind of ratted him out to the king of uh, the Nabataean king and ask the king, can you set a trap for this guy and arrest him? But Paul, Paul's not only like, he was like Batman, now he's like Jason Bourne. He, he, he's elusive, okay? You're not going to catch him. He evaded capture, he escaped the city, and what it did is he had some friends that lowered him in a basket over the city wall, right? Familiar story, the spies coming down over the wall in Jericho. And then in verse 18, it says that three years after his encounter with Jesus, he went up to Jerusalem finally. And he went up to Jerusalem to, to, to visit uh, Cephas, to hang with the apostle Peter. And then they, they kind of hung out together for 15 days. And I'm thinking there, imagine the stories these two guys shared with each other. Right? They got a bottle of wine, they got a loaf of bread, and they're just hanging out. They're hanging out, swapping stories. And Paul Paul's telling him about how he met Jesus on the road to Damascus, and he, he went blind. And uh, he's telling him about this amazing retreat he did in Arabia. And uh, he, he's telling him, about, like, I barely escaped Damascus. Yeah, almost killed me. I made it. But I think in that same conversation, Paul also has to be honest and convey the story of how he wasn't just there, but he oversaw the stoning of Stephen, didn't he? And I'm pretty sure he would have told that part of the story because he wanted Peter to know how Jesus had transformed his life and how he was now living for God's glory. And imagine the stories Peter's telling. Peter's got some stories, right? He's like, remember that time I, I almost walked on water? It was so close. I almost did it, but then I like fell in. I failed. That's like the big story in my story. I failed. I, um, I saw Moses and Elijah at the transfiguration. That was awesome. But I was told not to tell anybody. And, uh, but then I think Peter probably also told Paul about how he abandoned Jesus on the night he was arrested. And he's like, Jesus, he asked me to stay awake, me and my two boys. And uh, he's like, can you stay awake and keep watch while, he, while I go and pray? And we fell asleep on him like a bunch of times. And, and if that's not worse, Jesus is like, you know, you're going to deny me three times tonight. And guess what? I was so embarrassed to be known as a follower of Jesus. I was so Worried, I was so motivated by my own fear and security that when someone asked me about Jesus, I denied ever having even known him. 
And to make matters worse, it was like a second grade girl that did it. And yet, I think then Peter jumps to the story after the resurrection of Jesus asking him three times, do you love me? Knowing that Jesus still loved him in spite of all of his failures. And I think our stories resemble Paul and Peter a lot more than we think, don't we? We we have overseen and done some pretty horrific things in our lives. We have let Jesus down, and yet he has transformed us, and he still loves us, doesn't he? If that's not the good news of the gospel, I don't know what is, guys. Imagine those stories. Then in verse 19... He says, uh, he says, I saw none of the other apostles while he was there, except James, the Lord's brother. And like I'm imagining, like Peter, Peter and Paul are hanging out in some upper room somewhere, and they get a knock on the door. Yeah, come on in. And James like sticks his head in. He's like, yeah, y'all, y'all doing good. Hey, Paul, right? Saul, Paul, Paul, we're going with Paul. That's good, great. Hey, nice to see you. Hey, I just, uh, just want to make sure you're not still trying to kill us, right? We're good? We're good here now? We're all Okay. Just making sure. Okay, you guys have fun. I'm going to head back to, uh, to work now. It says in verse 20, In what I am writing to you, before God I do not lie. Let's remember that he is defending his ministry as an apostle and his gospel, his message of the gospel. He's stressing that he was not, he was not called and commissioned as an apostle. He was not taught and trained the gospel by, by James and Peter. He, he wasn't, that didn't come by or through man. It came by and through God himself. That's the point that he's making throughout this intro. And so while, while Paul's there, he, he does what he does. He can't help himself. Like, I kind of can't help myself from dancing sometimes. It's all I can do to not dance at the pulpit because uh, you're just going to laugh at me. Talk about fear of man. Um, <laughs> Paul couldn't help but preach. And so he goes out and he starts preaching. And, and here's the thing. Uh, people wanted to kill him again. And that's kind of a theme for Paul, isn't it, throughout Acts and his letters. He's always talking about how people are stoning him, killing him, shipwrecked a whole bunch of times, died a handful of times, but not quite died. That's what it looked like for Paul to be a servant of Christ. And in Acts 9, it says that he, he, they, they, they snuck him out of town, They're like, you got to get out of here, and he sailed back home to Tarsus, and it says in verse 21 that he went again uh, into the regions of Syria and Cilicia. He went, back, he went back home, right? And, and he spent the next eight years of his life preaching the gospel to the Gentiles. And the story of, of Paul's story, it spread. And it says, I was still unknown in person to the churches of Judea that are in Christ. They're only hearing it said, he who used to persecute us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy. They didn't know his face. They couldn't pick him out of a lineup of two, but they knew his story. They knew this persecutor became a preacher, this assassin became an apostle about how Jesus Christ had entirely transformed his life and now he was a servant of Christ and he closes in verse 24 saying, as a result of what Jesus had done, they responded glorifying God because of him. He begins and ends with this reminder that none of this this story is not about him, it's about God, and it is about his glory. It is about being transformed in the image of Christ for God's glory. That's what the gospel is, that's what the gospel does. It transforms us into the image of Christ for the glory of God. 
The gospel is our motivation. It is our reason for living and why we do what we do. And it is our message of hope. And that's because of what the gospel does. It transforms us. Jesus will not leave you the way he found you. He transforms us. And he transforms us more and more into his image, growing more and more into his likeness as we faithfully follow the way of Jesus with every step giving glory to God in service to Christ, giving glory to God as as we simply gather together as a family, as his people to, to worship, worshiping with our entire being, with our voices, our ears, with our hands, with our bodies, with our sense of taste and smell as we take communion, united by our faith in Jesus Christ. We glorify God when we gather to worship and we glorify God when we go to share. And and Henry, we're not all probably called to go to some faraway place. We are probably not all called to plant churches and preach, yet each and every person who has put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ has been called and commissioned by God. I don't care how old you are, how young you are, how long or short you've been following Jesus. We have been called and commissioned by God. We have been sent to share and to bring Him glory. We've got a phrase here that we've used a few times. Um, we share, God saves. Now you want to say that with me? We share, God saves. We share, God saves. It is not our responsibility to save others, is it? Whew. Don't worry about fumbling your words. Don't worry about messing up that prayer. Just, just share. Just pray. Because it's not our responsibility to save, but it is our responsibility to share. To share to those that we work with to share with people we go to school with, to share with people in our communities, and most importantly, sharing with those in our very own household, our our families. As servants of Christ, helping more people know Jesus and grow to be like Jesus, pointing people to Jesus by loving like Jesus. We're going to hear this every week of this series. It is our faith in Jesus Christ that makes us family, and our faith in Jesus Christ leads us to love. And you know, every Sunday when we gather together to worship, we close our time by celebrating what the gospel is and what the gospel does, don't we? We do this through communion, this celebration, this reminder that the gospel is a story of Christ's sacrificial death on the cross that forgives us of our sin. It is the story of Christ's victorious resurrection that frees us from the power of sin. It is the story of Christ's glorious ascension that then allows us and enables us to be filled by the Holy Spirit. It is a very personal, it is a very corporate story. Because what the gospel does is it unites those of us in Christ. It reunites us with God and it unites us with one another. As our faith in Jesus Christ makes us family, nothing more, nothing less. And so I want to put one of these lessons that we got today into practice. I don't want us to rush to this next chapter of our service, so to speak. We're not just going to rush right into communion. And we're going to take a moment. I'm going to give you a moment to pray silently, and then I'll pray over us. We're going to take a moment to reflect and remember our story. That the gospel is not impersonal, but very personal. What it is that Christ has done for us, the life that he has saved us from, and the life that he has saved us to. 
And so let's spend the next moment reflecting and praying. Thanks for listening. For more audio content and information about redemption, please visit our website at redemptionbc.org.